the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in the book of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is a collection of eyewitness testimonies that speak of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus had warned the people of the religious leaders' hypocrisy. Many people turned away from their godless living following Jesus. He told them that they ought to forgive everyone that has wronged them. Jesus also spoke of his coming kingdom, that one day he would return to rule and reign on the earth. There is none like Jesus, the Word of God, speaking the Word of God to the people of God. We join Pastor Will in Luke chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus is on this journey southeast along the border of Galilee and Samaria, the valley that runs into the Jordan River Valley, uh, where he would eventually turn south, and then he would make his way to Jericho, where he would then turn west and go right up to Jerusalem, where he'll be crucified. But somewhere at some point on that journey, while he's still along those borders, the Pharisees corner Jesus, and they ask him about when his kingdom's going to come. They demand, tell us when your kingdom's coming. And of course, we saw a couple weeks ago that Jesus explained that they could be part of his kingdom right now. It was right in front of them if they would follow him. But then after he answers them, he teaches his disciples about his second coming and how they will long for these days of having him in their midst, of having the king with them when he's not with them. As Jesus explains that to them, they, they got to be thinking, I can't imagine life without Jesus. And so if they're going to survive spiritually after he's gone, they're going to need to do some things. You're going to need to persist in prayer and trust in his mercy. And these two next parables we're going to cover today, they serve as Jesus' survival guide uh, for the future. This is important for us, especially because we're living in that same time, aren't we? Jesus has already come. He's died. He's risen from the dead, but he has not returned yet, right? So we are living in the times that he's speaking of, and therefore these parables, they have great application to us this morning. So chapter 18, let's read the first five verses as we jump into this. And he, Jesus, spoke a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, there was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. The end. Interesting little parable there. We start off here and note that Jesus is speaking to them, it says. The last them that's a reference in this passage is back in chapter 17, where it's speaking to his disciples. And so he's speaking to his disciples here, and he speaks to them a parable that men ought, the word there means something people should see as their duty. Men should see it as their duty 
to always pray and not to faint. Now, always here doesn't mean uh, like we never are not praying, but it means on every occasion. In other words, not just on special occasions, not just on holy days or feasts or dinner time or things that people would be expected to pray, but we should be praying on every occasion, doing that in contrast to not fainting. The word there means to give into something bad or evil, to lose heart and then behave badly. So the idea is we have a duty in front of us and we should always pray. You know, we should be praying on every occasion and we should not give in to the temptation to lose heart, to stop praying and then behave badly, which would be a life that is not full of prayer. That's the point here. And, and you know, when Jesus spoke in parables, he spoke in parables to communicate one important truth. If, if you're reading someone or listening to someone teach who's trying to tell you all these deep mysteries that parables reveal, stop listening to them because they're wrong. They're not going to find that there. The goal of a parable was to get the attention of those who wouldn't normally listen to Jesus just flat out saying, hey, by the way, guys, you should always be praying on every occasion and you shouldn't give up. Because when he would say that, people would go one ear and out the other. So he would tell a parable to communicate that truth so you'd pay attention that when he spoke the truth that you'd go, oh, you'd actually be listening. So it communicates one truth. And the goal of every reader when you find a parable is to figure out that one truth. Now I would say nine out of 10 parables, that's not hard at all because it's usually listed at the end of the parable. Jesus will say, and this is why, and then he gives the lesson. Here what's interesting is Luke tells us the purpose up front that we would persistently pray every day. That's the goal of this parable. Now, what's the parable? Well, it says, we meet two individuals here. It says, and there was in a city, individual number one, a judge, which did not fear God, neither regarded man. This guy didn't fear God. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. This guy did not hate what God hate and love what God loved. He did that which was right in his own eyes. He made up his own rules. He didn't care what God thought. And it also says here he did not regard man, which means to show respect to a person based on their high status. He didn't care who you were, how much money you had, how much power you had. He was the supreme power in his court, and he did as he pleased. I love what A.T. Robertson said about this guy. He said, this was a hard-boiled judge who knew no person as his superior. Not man, not God. A man like this might have been lauded as someone who stood up to high-profile individuals, to someone who wouldn't compromise, to someone who wouldn't give in to anybody. But in reality, he was just an arrogant, shameless, and selfish man with power, which is why he ignores our second character here, a widow who has a just cause. It says, and there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him. It's in the imperfect, which means she continually had been coming to him for a while. She'd been coming to him for justice for a while, saying, avenge me, give me justice from mine adversary. I have been wronged. You need to right that wrong. You need to legally protect me. That's your job. Well, we don't know how she'd been wronged, just that she kept coming to this judge because he repeatedly denied her requests for justice, for it says he would not for a while. The word there means he continually refused her for a while. But then it says afterward, which means after one time, she came to him this time, and on this one time, he said within himself, you know what? 
Though I don't care what God thinks, I don't care what he thinks about right and wrong and what I should be doing, and though I don't regard man, I don't let anybody tell me what to do, yet because this widow troubles me, it means to bother or cause distress. She is stressing me out because she keeps coming. Because of that, I will avenge her. Lest by her continual coming, or literally in the end, she weary me. The King James writers were very nice in how they put that. It literally reads, lest she punch me in the face. That's what it means. It means to give me a black eye. Strike me in the eye. Now, this is a pretty, uh, pretty tough guy because he doesn't listen to anybody. He doesn't care what they think. So this widow must be a really tough cookie as well. She kept coming, kept coming, kept coming. And he's going, if I don't give this woman justice, man, she's going to show up one day and just go off on me. I told Tom, I said, leave the crutches up here. That way, if somebody falls asleep, I can throw them at him. <laughs> Somebody's going, what? I'm awake, Pastor Will. She was a tough cookie. So he says, I'll give her justice lest she do something to me. And that's the end. It is. That's the end of the story. Interesting story, right? What's the point? Well, Jesus, verse 6, says this. And the Lord said, after he tells the story, Hear what the unjust judge says. That's an interesting application. The word hear means it's in the imperative command. You must listen to and respond to what the unjust judge said. Okay, what did the unjust judge say? I don't care what God thinks. I don't care what people think. But this lady's wearing me out, and I don't want a black eye. So I'll go ahead and give her justice. This wicked and righteous judge, I have to listen to what and respond to what he said. Okay, I will. What a jerk. What an absolute jerk. God keep wicked men like this from power in our day. That's how I'll respond to it. And you know what? That's kind of the response Jesus is expecting us to have. That if we really pay attention to what a jerk this guy is, that we will realize and say, wow, that guy is awful. Now, why does Jesus want us to respond like that? What was the point of listening to this guy and responding to it? I think the point is that we can easily fall into the trap of treating God like he's an unjust judge and saying what I said maybe not in those words, but about the Lord. We can very easily begin to ascribe this unjust, this wicked judge's attributes to God. Instead of persisting in prayer, we can treat our situation like God isn't good because this guy's not good. God doesn't care because this guy doesn't care. And that God doesn't want to act on our behalf because that's how this guy was. Have you ever done that before? You doubt God's goodness, you stop praying. You don't believe he cares, so you stop praying. You don't think God wants to act on your behalf, so you stop praying. Those ideas about God, that he's like this guy, could not be farther from the truth. See, Jesus, in verse 7, he says this, And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Literally in the Greek, it's hard to explain it in English, but it says, hear what the unjust judge says. Okay, I've done that. And then literally it reads, and how about God? Think about him. How do you respond when you think about him? Like, what do you think about his character, his activity, the way he responds to us? Then it says, shall not he avenge his own elect, which cry night and day unto him, though he bear long with them? See, I think a lot of the times we treat God like this wicked judge because we don't take time to consider God's character. We isolate that one incident that we're in right now where we're frustrated or angry and we don't understand what God's doing. And we forget all the goodness of God, all the faithfulness of God, all the promises of God, and we stop praying. We stop trusting him. When we consider God's character and this evil man's character, we should be able to declare how 100% opposite God is from this wicked judge, and therefore worthy of our trust instead of our anger or our disappointment. 
How about God, Jesus says. Let me tell you. Will he not avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? The answer, of course, is yes. He will. Jesus will clarify how in a little bit, but will he? Of course he will. He's going to answer that prayer. It will be in his time, though. That's why it says, though he bear long with them. Now, the phrase there, bear long, it means to wait or delay a long time. Jesus' question is this. Won't the God who's so different than this evil judge give justice to his people when they pray for it? The answer is yes. Even though God delays in responding to prayer sometimes, the answer is a resounding yes. He will. It says, I say to you that he will avenge them speedily. The word there, speedily, it doesn't mean he answers your prayer right away. It means that when he decides that the time is right to answer your prayer, he won't waste any time. In other words, if he's holding back right now, if he's not avenging you or answering you right now, it's because it's not good to answer it right now. But the moment it is, there won't be a second wasted. He will answer it immediately. So what does that mean for us? It means you and I have to trust that if he's not answering right now, there's a good reason for it, right? There's a really good reason for it. God may delay for various reasons, but when he decides to finally give us justice, it will happen swiftly. In the book of Revelation, we see the saints who have been slain, the tribulation saints who have been slain for their testimony for Christ, and they cry out saying, how long, O Lord, until you avenge us against those who shed our blood? And what does the Lord say? Hold on, hold on. It's not just you guys. There are more, more that will be coming to faith, more that will be slain for their faith, more that I'm bringing into the fold. So I need you to hold on a little bit longer. What does the New Testament say in 2 Peter chapter 2? That we should not count the Lord as slack or lazy or lagging behind like men count slackness, but we should trust that the mercy of the Lord, his long-suffering is mercy to the lost because he doesn't want anybody to perish, but he wants all men to come to salvation, right? See, God, why are you avenging me? Because through your suffering, I'm going to reach the person that's persecuting you. And so, like Stephen, who prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold, lay this sin to their charge. That's what Stephen said. Jesus, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Lord, if you're delaying, there's a good reason for it. And so will you bring mercy and grace to the people who are bringing this trouble to me? See, God isn't like the wicked judge at all. If he delays, there are good reasons, not arrogant, selfish, or lazy reasons. Do you believe that? Because it's true. So the only question left is whether or not we'll trust him in persistent prayer. And so Jesus, at the end, he says, nevertheless, even though all this is true, God is nothing like that judge. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, shall he find faith on the earth? Literally, it reads, the faith on the earth. Nevertheless, when Jesus does come back, will he find anything resembling Christianity on the earth? Interesting, isn't it? The faith, it refers to what we believe, what we are. Will he find anything that resembles disciples following him when he returns? That's a heavy challenge, isn't it? He tells me, he says, you guys, you're going to wish that I was here, man, when I'm gone. You're going to wish for those days when I'm right in front of you. How are you going to survive? You need to persistently pray every day on all occasions. Prayer needs to be a consistent part of your life or you will not make it. Because if you lose heart, if you begin to behave poorly and you begin to commit the sin of prayerlessness, he says, 
Christianity won't look like true Christianity when I come back. We just had our night of prayer on Wednesday night. And I don't say this to condemn you or guilt you or whatever, but we had over 400 people show up for Easter Sunday. And we had barely 30 people in the room for prayer. That is not Christianity. That's not Christianity. If you love the idea of the church or you love the idea of Jesus, but you don't want to you don't want to pray with regularity for your brothers and sisters, for the lost, for your coworkers, for your family, with your family, that's not Christianity. And again, I don't say that to condemn you or guilt you and to got to make sure we show up at the next night of prayer, Pastor Will's going to preach at us again. That's not the point. The point is Jesus himself said, nevertheless, even though God is so good, he always has good reasons for why he waits. He loves us. He's a good judge. Nevertheless, will I find anything resembling Christianity when I come back? Will I find that my people have survived or will they have strayed? Let's not be those who stray. Let's be those who are surviving and thriving, right? Let's be those who pray persistently, amen? Prayer and the word are how we live out a real relationship with God. Prayer is a way that we're gonna survive. Prayer is a way we're gonna make it. And I asked you this morning, is that how you face difficult times in your life? Do you spend time in prayer? Or do you ascribe evil to God and give up? And do you commit the sin of prayerlessness because you don't believe God's good in your circumstance? If we want to impact others for the gospel and for the kingdom, we need to be people of prayer. If there's anything the church needs today, it's a revival of prayer. We need a revival in the word. We need a revival of prayer. A return to the word of God and a return to prayer because that's how we impact the lives of those around you. So does that describe you? Are you a person of the word, a person of prayer? Is that a regular part of your life? And don't say no and then wallow in your disobedience. No, I'm not. I guess I'm not saved or I guess I'm not a good Christian. That's not the point of this. Think of how good God is. He's not like this judge at all. He is righteous. He is merciful. He is holy and he is love. Think of that and then return to a life of prayer or start one if you've never had one because men and women of the faith ought always to pray and not to faint. Amen? Well, now we turn to this next parable here. It goes hand in hand because people of uh, prayer must be people of humility that see their need. And so Jesus, verse 9, spoke this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And it goes like this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus for himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, We start off with this parable here, and Luke tells us who Jesus was giving it to. He says, he spoke this parable unto certain individuals which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. I've made a list of certain individuals that need to hear this today. The rest of you can go home early. Just kidding. I wouldn't do that to Tom. These were people who trusted in themselves that they had fulfilled the righteous requirements that God sets. They had done everything in accordance with with what God requires. They trusted in themselves that they had done that, and they despised others. They treated others as worthless, as having no value. 
The word others there, it means the rest. So in other words, everyone who wasn't like them. Anyone who was not like them was part of the rest, and they treated them as worthless or had no value. Now, Jesus certainly is targeting the Pharisees because this is their way of thinking. They're the ones who started this whole conversation in chapter 17 when they arrogantly came to him and said, tell us when your kingdom's coming. You know, quit, quit keeping us in suspense. And, you know, they started it with their arrogance. But certainly, even though they believe they met all God's requirements, they're the only ones doing so, certainly Jesus is meaning this for anyone who thinks they're going to heaven because they're better than others. Anyone who thinks they're better than others. And if you are here today and think, well, I'm, I'm going to heaven because I'm not as bad as so-and-so, this parable then applies to you. And what's the scenario here? Well, we got two individuals again. The first one is a Pharisee. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The word there, the phrase of the other means something entirely different. The Pharisee and someone nothing like the Pharisee, a tax collector. As people are viewed in Jewish society, you couldn't get more opposite than these two. One, the Pharisee was considered a part of the most righteous group in all of Israel, and the other, the tax collector, was the lowest scum on the earth to them. Some would even hear this parable by Jesus and feel absolutely scandalized. Like, as Jesus said, a, and a, two men went up to the temple to pray, a, a Pharisee and a tax collector. And I'm sure some old lady in the audience went, whoo, that would never happen. God would never allow a tax collector into his presence. And it probably would never happen in real life, not because God wouldn't allow it, but because that culture wouldn't. And yet Jesus continues, even though it probably scandalized some, because he has a point to make. Now he says the Pharisee, he in the temple, stood, nothing wrong with standing, that people like to try, he was proud, he was arrogant, everybody stood to pray. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. This is what shows us he's arrogant. God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Buffalo Bills fans, or even as this publican. I mean, he actually looks over at the guy and even, thank you for not making me like this guy. For I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all that I possess. Amen. That's his prayer. He says, I'm not, the, I'm not like those who rob people violently. Well, congratulations. You're now like 99% of the rest of the population. Not really that good. I'm not an unrighteous man, an unbeliever, an unjust person. Okay, pretty much like the rest of Jewish society. Nothing special there. Adulterers, or even as this tax collector, they're not exactly the majority in society. He's basically saying, I'm not as bad as the worst people in the world. And that's usually what people think when they say, well, I'm not as bad as some, or I'm better than others. I'm not as bad as the worst people in society. It was a Jewish saying back then that rabbis, good rabbis, thank God every day, that they weren't created a Gentile, they weren't created a commoner, a non-rabbi, and that they weren't, sorry ladies, created a woman. This prayer is pretty close to that. And if this was all God required of a person, that he just looked at those that were looked down on in society and seen as the worst, and that you were better than them, if that was all God required of a person, then maybe it might not be a bad prayer. Maybe. But one doesn't get to heaven by fasting twice a week or tithing or being better even than good people. This man's trust in himself is greatly misplaced. Tax collector's prayer is much different. And the publican, standing afar off, this tax collector didn't even presume to come close to God. He prayed far away from God's presence, far away from the Pharisee, not feeling worthy to come close. It says he would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven. He's looking down in shame. 
But in contrast to this Pharisee's prayer, he smote upon his breast, kept on striking, it means, kept on striking his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me. Not a sinner, but literally the sinner. God, be merciful to me, the greatest sinner ever. This guy, he's in a mess, and he knows it. And he knows he has no right to ask God for help because he's the one who did it to himself. But what he prays for is mercy. The word mercy, it means to show compassion and concern for someone who's in difficult times despite the fact that they may have committed a moral offense to put themselves there. Isn't that interesting? God, I know what I deserve. I know I've done this to myself, but I need help. I don't deserve it, but you're the only place that I can get help. Will you help me, please? And that was his prayer. To enter the kingdom of God, we must receive it as a child. To humbly come to God, acknowledging that we cannot save ourselves and take hold of the free, undeserved, unearned gift of salvation presented to us through Jesus Christ. This is the only way to get to heaven. With humility, acknowledgement of sin, and hoping in God's overflowing mercy, there is no other way. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.